Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Buenilla, and for today's episode, we will be addressing Misbehavior, a Gender Lens Film Review. This is a 2020 film that was recently released. I watched it a couple of days ago and found very, very important lessons to share here in the podcast, but also with the upcoming Miss Universe pageant, which will take place on the weekend. I thought that we could um, address several of the topics and issues that this film very beautifully portrays and also very concerningly finishes and glances over very briefly. So we will um, go ahead and engage in this conversation. So if you have not watched the movie, I invite you to do so in order to continue listening to this um, episode. If you are one of those persons that want to see the movie first before engaging in any review, because we will be um, sharing spoilers. Um, so if you don't like spoilers, you don't want the magic to, you know, be shared at this point, then I invite you to pause this episode and listen to it after, after you watch the movie. Okay, so if you are still here and you have watched the movie or you probably don't care about watching it but are interested in what these movies topics are about, then this conversation definitely um, will inspire you or uh, speak your interest at the very least. I want to engage in a two-part review, as I often do um, on previous episodes, which is first I will talk very uh, briefly about the movie, share a synopsis, what the movie is about, how the movie is presented from you know a journalistic and um, documentary production as well as film production lenses, and that we will engage on the gender lenses um, in order to. Um, you know, uh, see the different layers and why some scenes were shown and why others maybe didn't make the final cut. So this movie is actually based on a real story. Um, its synopsis says that it is placed in the 1970s, the Miss World competition that took place in London and that was hosted by comedy le legend of the United States, Bob Hope. And it, it talks about the newly formed uh, women's liberation movement who, I mean, a movement that actually invaded the stage when the Miss World competition took place. And there were several dynamics that you could see on the story that this, these are historic events, which was that, you know, they had a, a conversation about whether or not they should have a black South African candidate on stage in an apartheid era in order to be seen as more inclusive. So there's a whole tokenism conversation that we will address in a bit. Um, but there were also other conversations about, you know, like why Miss Grenada won the competition and not Swedish um, candidate, which was the favorite at that point. So, so this is based on a true story. If, and if you are interested in learning about it, then I definitely invite you, I will list uh, down below in the description box to learn about what happened and also watch several of the interviews that um, not only Jennifer Hostin, which is the Miss Grenada, as well as Sandra Wolstead and 
Pearl Jensen from um, South Africa um, shared, but also Sally Alexander and Joe Robinson, which were like the main um, headliners of the movie. But of course, in the in the real life, you know, the story that was told. This is an interesting movie on the first part of this review. I watched it and felt like it was like a very easy to watch movie. It wasn't too uncomfortable. It wasn't, you know, like too dramatic that, oh my God, this is so intense. Um, it wasn't too superficial either. So if you feel like, oh my God, they're going to talk about pageants, probably it will be, you know, very makeup and no, no, like there's a substance there, but they don't dig deep into the substance. Um, I considered that the script of the movie was very aware or the, the people that wrote the script were very aware of having catchy headlines and catchy phrases that one can take and, you know, like wander about and stick with you throughout the movie. So definitely it's a pop culture movie. It definitely is. It's easy to watch. Though there are some scenes on the beginning of the movie when you start watching it that you're like, oh, sexism, you know, like it has very, very in your face scenes of sexism from the beginning of the movie. So that's how the problem or the arch of what, what the story is about takes you, you know, it, it definitely sparks that, uh, why am I seeing this from the beginning? Um, but it serves a purpose. I think that it's also uncomfortable. Um, I wanted to do this review not only because the Miss Universe pageant is nearby, um, but also because I consider that the movie brilliantly showcases white feminism which we will um, be addressing in a bit with the gender lens part. White feminism, but in a, it's in your face, but you don't acknowledge it. It's, it's not telling you this movie is about white feminism because the whole narrative in the movie is to talk about women's rights for everybody. But who says women's rights are for everybody? The women that are white, white women, all the time, all across the movie, we see a lot of scenes of white feminists and white feminist movements. So that's something to consider. And um, I mean, the casting is part of, um, you know, it, it, it is tried to tie with the, um, the, the real life story, so there's not much that one can do about it, but it leaves me thinking whether or not the story could have been told if the women that were leading the movement were not white. I don't know. Because how, how many chances do women of color have of their protests, their movements, their own insignias to be shown on the big screen? And another thing that is concerning me is that 
the film director is also a white woman. So it's a white woman's interpretation of this real life story whose biggest conversation was left to the end of the movie with Miss Grenada and she was not white and we see her as a minor character throughout the whole movie but but she did make history but the, the story is not about her but about the timing and the movement and all the issues that we will start addressing now on the second part of this um, review so definitely I invite you to watch it it's not like it's gonna dawn on you oh my god this is the best movie ever that I ever saw about pageants and co um, contestants and women's rights movement no it is an enjoyable experience it's just that um, I did have a previous film review uh, a TV series film review on my Facebook page I invite you to check it out we did a a full Facebook live on Miss America, the mini-series on uh, uh, Phyllis Sklafly, um, the conservative activist that wanted to stop the ERA in the United States. This was also based on a true story uh, portrayed by Kate Blanchett and, you know, that, that showcased the fight between white feminists from different... Um, how is it? Different um, ideologies, you know, because you have the conservatives, white feminists, and you also had the, the, the liberals, white feminists, led by Gloria Steinem in this specific um, TV series. And we address a whole other um, wide range of issues that this TV series brought to light. And um, I, I do feel like these stories need to be told to show that the movement, the feminist movement, is not a homogeneous, a homogenized force. Um, it is actually very complicated to be part of a feminist movement and to go the full route and stay committed because all the time you are learning new things and you not necessarily agree with the forms of expression and the way that movement is evolving, you know, and how the idea is shaping your own lives so so if you're on this process of learning about feminism regardless of your gender sex or country of origin my invitation is to start watching what media and culture in your own country and around the world are portraying that's a huge conversation to have how the media, how movies, the entertainment industry chooses X, Y, Z kind of topics. Which stories get told and why? Who gets casted and why? And what are the main messages and what are the main narratives that continue being reproduced time over time on Feminist issues, women's rights, but also the feminist movements. And I think this specific movie follows the tracks of the suffragettes movie that we saw a couple of years ago on the suffragist movement in, um, in the UK. And, you know, like it was a good movie, 
And this one is like a follow-up, though not as intense. <laughs> it's more pop culture, this one. But it, it kind of, you know, continues the narrative from an entertainment industry of the UK and also the United States, which are partners in this film production, but also a very wide lens conversation on mainstream feminism. And as if the story of feminism is primarily led by white women and showcased by white women on several um, areas of production of the film, of the movie. I find that concerning and a point to talk about. And I want to be very clear and very honest about my own perception. I've been several episodes ago since we started doing the film reviews and, you know, with all the journey that we have led with this podcast that I'm from Puerto Rico. My main media culture and entertainment industry understanding is from the United States. Once I started living in Mexico, you know, went to study in Spain, I had access to other movies, to other types of narratives. So I understand that there are other movies, that there are other films, um, books and narratives that, you know, need to also be shown and probably don't have the same distribution marketing uh, efforts that American or British film industries have. So I invite you if you are from any other country and you feel like, oh, Natalia, like you have to watch this movie. This is incredible. This is something that happened in my country. This is something that, you know, you should watch, etc. Please do share on our Instagram account at womenhood underscore IR. Write me a DM and, you know, we'll figure out ways to broaden our understanding and our lenses on the media landscapes. Um, to to review other ways of creating film and other stories that do not get shown by this specific um, media industry. So with that in mind, I recognize that. I would like for us to engage on the gender lens part. There are three, th three scenes that I want to share with you today. Um, the beginning of the movie was very uncomfortable to watch. You have a scene, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, I'm gonna share details. Um, you have a scene where, uh, you know, a, um, a, a list of contestants are showing their bodies on a bathing suits and you have a male jury and male photographers and they are discussing whether or not their butts or their breasts are filling the specific requirements because of specific measures that they need to fill in order to become Great Britain, uh, Miss, Miss Great Britain. From that moment on, the, the rest of the movie, you see men not only engaging in sexist behaviors and sexual harassment um, subtones, and micro machismos in English, I don't know the name, but like um, in mansplaining on a, on a way, 
but also on a predatory behavior against women. It's as if women are not valued, they're all the time objectified, but also treated as dumb. It's like, we're giving you this platform, we're giving you this opportunity, and you should be thankful. You're, you should be thankful that you have men that desire you. You should be thankful that you have photographers that want to take your picture and journalists that want to take your um, interview, that want to interview you, you know? So, so throughout the movie, that's very apparent. And I found interesting that the only man that was shown on a different light was the partner of Sally Alexander, his, uh, her romantic partner. And he was shown on a different light, on, a, on an extreme light of this kind person, this kind dude that stay at home taking care of her daughter while she was out protesting and, you know, like changing the world. And he was the one cooking, he was the one, you know, watching the dishes, etc. So for me, that was a bit like, nah, why do you have to go to this stream, you know? Like, either men are absent beyond the predatory behavior, we don't see them, or the one that we do see that is an ally to women, etc., he's too feminized. Um, and I saw I saw that that was very extreme in the portrayal, but hey, you know the story. Who writes the story? I don't know. Um, that's uh, something to um, explore. The second thing from the beginning is another scene where um, there's a conversation, a, a conference at the University of Oxford is for the Women's Weekend program. And they had this headliner, this incredible woman that was about to talk to, you know, a group of women um, and, you know, inspire, inspire them on their journey to smash the patriarchy and all that. Um, she was a white woman and the full room, about 95% of the, the room was white women. Um, there were a few um, representation of women of color which, you know, it could be tied to the times, you know, 1970s. So, you know, probably there are um, a huge conversation to have on the history of race relations in the UK, but also in the United States with everything that was happening with the discriminatory laws, etc. So that's something to, um, to, to explore. But what I found very interesting about the, the scene were several things. First is that Sally meets Joe for the first time, who is the other main character of the movie, and Joe is also a real-life uh, person, and she was one of the leaders of this um, movement. And Sally and Joe engage in this conversation on how Sally, because she, she is a history major and wants to become, you know, a scholar, um, she's too bourgeois. You know, she's very much like she wants to have a seat at the table. That's what she dreams about. She wants to have a voice in a world full of men. And Joe is very skeptical. And she tells to Sally on her face all the time throughout the movie, but specifically in this scene, like, 
you don't want to break to break the establishment. You only want a seat of the table on the table. And Sally responds, if I joined the table, it wouldn't be only men's. And then Joe is like, oh, like she laughs about it. Like, you know, you are in so much trouble for thinking that, you know, like you are falling trap of the system, etc. You know, but it's interesting because you have this class tension. Joe doesn't come from the same class as Sally. And Sally is not either, you know, these rich women. She also comes from a middle class, not poor class, but, you know, like a middle class, in a sense, privileged um, neighborhood than Joe. So even, even if they are two white women, they don't speak from the same place. And in this specific scene, all these women gather to listen to these white women inspiring whatever, surrounded by male's tattoos. Because these male's tattoos are all philosophers or, you know, like important people from backwards and centuries ago <laughs> that universities, you know, bringing homage to these persons, okay? That was interesting, like all these men in status are watching these women talk about how to become a revolution and all that. And I started wondering not only about tokenism, but also about why feminism. And I'm gonna leave that conversation on the end. Um, on how white women speak to themselves, about themselves, but also for others. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> white women speaking to themselves, about themselves, and for others, for other women. It's as if we want equality for all, we want a revolution for all, but who is leading the revolution? The white women. Because, mm, you know, like, women of color are nowhere to be seen or do not have the same drive as white women do or the same access that white women do but that's understated that's not shown on the movie and that's something that we see an underlying tension in the miss america um tv series that i invite you to watch as well i i feel like that miniseries was very good it was very good uh, miniseries i definitely recommend it um because you see that the conversations from two, the different sides of ideologies are always between white women, but where are the others? Where are people from different classes, different ethnicities, <laughs> different, it, you know, like, and we see it in the case of Kate Blanche's character, Phyllis. Um, she, she, she was a housewife, but other white women from a poor class or a woman of color was washing her clothes and tending to her children and, you know, cooking on the kitchen the meal that they were going to eat for dinner because she was too busy leading the propaganda movement or the feminist movement or the movement against the sub the ERA. And we see the same with Gloria Steinem in a scene where a, a woman of color 
was speaking to a senator and the senator was not listening to her because she was very emotional. And then Gloria had to step in as a white woman and talk to the senator on to, to say the same thing that these specific women of color said to him in front of everybody, to say the same exact thing in order for that senator to hear her, hear Gloria. But also Gloria used, of course, is this movie, this TV series, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is happening on the real life, I don't know, in the series. Then she was using her sensuality to charm the senator, to get her point across. So that's very, um, very thin line to, to, to cross. Why are we um, fighting against femininity and about being charmed and being the, the object of desire of men, but then we know when to turn it on in order for them to hear us, you know? Like, that was the whole conversation that I found troublesome with that TV series. And in here, you don't see that because the, the objectivization um, is mostly on the pagan side, but not on the feminist movement, which I found that good because we could see them beyond those lenses, you know, like they're real... Um, reclaims or, or claims so something to explore um, that left me to two other scenes to finish this um, review the first one has to do with representation and how representation matters and tokenism in the specific movie there's a whole conversation how to become um, a progressive competition how can we reach millions and millions of views how can we be more inclusive for the next Miss World pageant which is often seen across the world and the brilliant news broke that maybe including more black women even if they were not gonna win the pageant will be great there was a movement in the United Kingdom back then against the apartheid in South Africa and due to the tensions of um, government tensions between the UK and South Africa and the pageant that took place in this specific country, the candidate of South Africa was a white woman. So they decided in the pageant, which is an enterprise-run um, organization, to broaden the selection and include a Miss South Africa that was black to run on the same level as the white South Africa. So what they changed was the name is instead of having Miss South Africa, the other candidate, which was Pearl Jansen, a real life uh, person, um, she represented Africa South. And Dillian Jessup represented Miss South Africa because that was her title. So that's interesting to note. The first um, time that we also see a new character in the lineup is Miss Grenada. It's the first time that a Miss Grenada appears 
in this pageant and she's also a black woman. But what I find very interesting is that both of these women were black, but they were the white people's perception of black. And that's what I find troublesome. Once again, we can talk about you know just the pageant industry, how it's troublesome, etc. But it's interesting to me that they pick this specific skin color type of women and say that right now they're filling the quota of diversity and this tokenism is toxic but that's something that we see on the at the first impression on a second impression we see a whole other conversation that passes under the radar and that was briefly discussed throughout the movie and that i feel is the core is the core that passes under the radar which is what these pageants actually mean for women in the global south for women of color they represent opportunities that white women do not care about because of other circumstances the whole climax of the movie is when the women's liberation movement their representatives which are all white women um, pay for the ticket to attend to the pageant live on a, thea a theater a theater and they um, erupt into the stage they invade the stage and make their accusations that Bob Hope was, you know, a sexual predator, but also that the whole pageant is a very sexist um, way of measuring women's bodies. And there were, there were cameras, TV cameras, um, recording their views and their uh, conversations, and they were after um, taken down by authorities, they were um, arrested for it, for, for um, storming a stage, and the pageant continues, and Miss Grenada won the pageant, which by the way, just to let you know, Miss Grenada, um, Prime Minister, was one of the juries on that night, so we can say there was a bias going on, but you know, like that's something to discuss in another time, but when they were taking Kira Knightley's character, Sally, when they were taking Sally, um, she had a brief encounter, a scene with um, Jennifer, who is the Miss Grenada uh, title, the winner of the pageant. And they had a brief encounter. And this slogan that the women's liberation movement had, like, we are not beautiful, we are not ugly, we are, not, we are angry. Sally talks to Jennifer and says that we are not angry at you. Sorry for storming your big celebration. We congratulate you, but we are mad about the competition, not about, we don't want to have a problem with the contestants. We have a problem with the competition itself. And um, Jennifer responds to her and says, you know there are many girls watching TV tonight who will see themselves differently because I won. Who might start to believe that they don't have to be white to have a place on the world. And then Sally replied that the competition 
is bad because no structure should make women compete against each other based on their looks, based on a specific standard of beauty, which at the same time, Miss Grenada replied, well, Sally, all I can say is I look forward to having your choices in life. Ending quote. That for me was like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. Oh my God. Um, that's a bomb. Like, we, we have been talking about decolonial feminism and post-colonial feminism, about post-coloniality, about the truths and, and the political projects of the third world and the global south. And now with this movie, we can see a scene <laughs> where, where those political projects combine and, 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 and are presented to one another. Which leads me to the last part of this um, review, which is a talk about white feminism. And this whole conversation that I said before, white women speaking to themselves, about themselves and for others. I still haven't found the right way to address this because I need to include myself as a subject, as a woman in these experiences. So I don't know how we will be better to express it, but I do feel problematic when a movement in the North is trying to liberate us all, <laughs> but does not recognize that not everybody has the same opportunities that, for example, a Miss World or Miss Universe pageant, yes, we could be criticizing a lot about whether they not they should not or, or yes, exist. But for some women in some specific countries, these are actually seen as opportunities. Opportunities where they don't have to work 16 hours a day to, you know, earn the minimum where they actually can, you know, prepare mentally and, you know, become fitted and, and, you know, engage in fitness routines and represent their neighborhood or their country and win a hundred thousand dollars and change their lives and buy their moms a home, you know, like, you know, these are like for some people in some specific context, these are opportunities that never in their normal life they will dream about having and we can criticize globalization we can criticize the expansion of you know going internationally which is something that we also you know are working in this podcast how to best address it you know but to put all women on the same boat is troublesome. We don't have the same opportunities. We don't. And the night that was for her, her dream was tarnished by this movement. And yes, we can say that no, but you know, they're fighting for all women. Yeah, but like, who's the woman that they're fighting for? 
who is leading the movement and whose claims are heard of. That's not clear because as we have previously discussed in several episodes, I will list them down below, one of the problems that we have with whiteness leading causes is that the whiteness doesn't recognize the decentralization of power. And that's something from a post-colonial and decolonial perspective. What I find that we can take from this movie and we can take from other movies that lately we have seen portray white feminists is how the narrative of the feminist fight or the feminist movement or feminist values, etc., is often portrayed by white women. Why? Where are the other women? Why their stories are not being told? Why their stories are not being shared on the screen? Why don't they have the same screen time or the best taglines or the best character development? Is it a representation of the crude reality that we face every day is it i want to share this conversation with you because i know for sure that there are many of you out there working on media projects from photography um, projects to um, media documentary production to research development or multimedia and art projects related and, and activism. And I know that there are stories that you're telling that are not portrayed on mainstream media, that are from women of color, that are from other realities and understanding, but that somehow do not reach the mainstream media because it's not newsworthy or because there's no money for that, because there's no, um, you know, interest by media producers and top industry producers. I know that those stories are out there. They may not reach the big studios, but I know that they are out there. What I worry is because of the lack of visibility of these stories on the mainstream production and the distribution journey that these top office, box office movies get, exposure that they get because, you know, they have Kira Knightley and they have Kate Blanchett and they have, you know, like these Oscar winners <laughs> leading the characters, you know. We, we pay attention to them because it's Meryl Streep and, and Carrie Mulligan and, you know, like, whoa, like we need to pay attention. Why? Because media says so. Because media gets paid. Why? Media, you know, like top industry advertisers. I wonder if that's why we, we, we can only quote these movies because that's what's easily available. 
that's what's easily found when you do a Google search, etc. That's that's what we find. I can say Meryl Streep, and most of you that are listening to me may 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 find a reference. Oh yeah, Meryl Streep, the Oscar winner. You know, <laughs> like. But what are other stories are as worthy as a Meryl Streep one that are not being shown? And why? What is the the feminist narrative that we have? And I find that troublesome because when there was the March 8th International Women's Day, I also found like I my Facebook was flooded with quotes on intersectional feminism and most of the quotes were from Audre Lorde or from Shimamanda Ngozi. And I was like, yeah, they are incredible Nigerian author and African-American author, but they're not the only ones that you can quote. You know, like there are many other, you know, black feminists and there are many other African feminists. Like, why do we always have to say the same quotes? And, you know, when we talk about peace, we always talk about Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi quotes. Why? <laughs> As if there's nobody else in in the these 15 years or five five decades that said anything worth quoting <laughs> things that we can share about um yeah i want to close this i'm i'm um a bit rambling at this point but um i hope that you found some use in um, this critique or review and um, i look forward to your comments what's the media landscape in your country what's the story that's being told on feminism how do you perceive the feminism that you receive from movies, from old audios, podcasts, um, books that you know you're reading on your club or your book club? Like actually, like like let's pay attention to that because I have not paid attention to it. I'm just recently, you know, becoming more and more self-aware, um, and. and I'm sharing here my journey and it's not a perfect one and I'm not in any means perfect um, but I do feel like we have to be honest on what concerns us and this concerns me because we are being fed up being, being fed up and we are feeding off this narrative as well so Looking forward to your movie film recommendations. Please feel free to send me over um, an Instagram if they're from the UK, from the US, from Mexico, from Brazil. A shout out to those following us on Canada, on Australia, New Zealand, India. Thank you so much for tuning in and um, I look forward to your comments. Please follow us on Instagram at womenhood underscore IR. Subscribe to our newsletter and join our community in Patreon. We love to see you there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.